Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into the show. Man, I'm so excited for this episode because I got my good friend, Amber Hurdle, on the show. Amber and I met eight years ago when we joined an entrepreneurship mastermind, and she and about six other individuals, we became pretty close and helped each other. We were all about in the same place and starting podcasts, starting our thought leadership, branching out into our speaking, our coaching, and all of that. And like I said, she and six other individuals, we've kind of stayed connected and help each other behind the scenes with our brand. And it was exciting to finally get her on the show and talk about how she looks at leadership. She looks at it in a very unique way. She takes both science and marketing principles, and it's all about the brand and developing the leaders from the inside out. I've always liked her position, her value, that proposition that she brings to individuals. She does do an outstanding job in helping leaders confidently define and position our value so that we can maximize our influence, our focus, and our results. She really gets it. She's a dynamic professional speaker. Again, and she's the CEO of her own consulting firm, Amber Hurdle Consulting. This is a multi-award-winning talent optimization firm. She personally understands what it takes to accelerate success. She's a former teen mom, and we talk about this in this episode, who evolved into this just powerhouse businesswoman. She's worked with international celebrities, executives, Fortune 100 companies alike. And again, it's been so exciting watching her grow. She's one of the truly authentic, genuine souls out there. And I'm so thrilled to have her on the show. When she's not helping individuals and employers share unique value, she's momming so hard, as she puts it, embracing her inner gym rat in the weight room, entertaining her family and friends. And uh, while she is known for being a super extra dog mom and a hot wing snob, Amber is most known for connecting personal, employee, and business brands via her proprietary Velvet Machete brand strategy. I love that term, Velvet Machete. And we talk about all of this on the show. You're really going to enjoy it. She's one of the good ones, and I was so thrilled to finally have her on the show. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Equity Bank, who's been with me well over two years and well over 50 episodes. It's been fun watching them grow into one of the fastest-growing banks in the Midwest. They're a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. They understand leadership. They understand entrepreneurship. Equity Bank is now listed on the NASDAQ Exchange, and they got locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas, with plans to expand even further. Clearly, this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth, and so if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, Go check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, and review your word of mouth and those subscriptions and those writing those reviews does wonders to keep me front and center on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're still in the top 20 consistently in Apple Podcasts in the business management category, and it's all because of you. Thank you for your support and, again, spreading the word. Reach out to me at richard at doseofleadership.com or go to the website directly, doseofleadership.com, and fill out the contact form and let me know where you're at in your leadership journey and if I can help in any way possible. All right, let's get on with this conversation with my good friend Amber Hurdle here on Dose of Leadership. Amber Hurdle, my good friend on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Yay. I'm so excited to be here. 
You know, we've known each other almost eight years. Did you know that? I was looking at the calendar. Almost eight I was, years. I was thinking about that, yeah, because it was like right after I left Gaylord Hotels. It's crazy. And I was like, <laughs> and watching your journey um, has just been amazing. It's been so fun to watch and just remember back in the day, back in, I think it was 2013, right? When we were in uh -huh. that kind of, we met through a um, kind of, I guess it was a Facebook entrepreneurial group that John Lee Mastermind Dumas started, mastermindy type thing. <laughs> <laughs> and there was me, you, and Anthony Tran, and there was about eight of us that kind of clicked together, right? And we kind of yeah. started sharing and doing life. And uh, Paul, Paul Coliani, yeah, good friend. Uh -huh. I mean, and we're still good. I'm, we're still connected. All those people I'm all still connected with, yeah. right? They all come to Nashville. They see me. Yeah, Austin Netsley. Austin, yeah, yeah. He's still going. Yeah. And um, uh, oh gosh, I could go on. I go on. Yeah. Owen Sullen. I Owen. mean, he's out in, oh yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's killing it in Arizona. Yeah. I, I remember who did I, I met up with him. God, there was Owen and somebody else in Phoenix. Oh, the guy, um, he did my, Aaron Pearson, Aaron Pearson, Aaron Pearson, <laughs> yeah. Aaron Pearson and Owen and Owen had just moved to Phoenix. Like he'd moved from New York and he moved to Phoenix and I was in Phoenix. Yeah. yeah he left all, Mo behind in New York. That's right. And then yeah. we, we all had lunch and, and I met Paul. I was, I had lunch with Paul somewhere. I tried to hook up with you in Nashville one time. I was laying over and it didn't work. You were going something. I was. I said, yeah. hey, I'm in Nashville and you and your husband were going somewhere. But gosh dang, that's just so fun to see that here we are. And I've never had you on this show. I've been wanting to. I've been a big fan because you're, I think of all the people that were there, you were the closest to what I was doing in terms of thought beliefs on leadership and, um, and entrepreneurship. And uh, I, I just love your story. So we're reminiscing with all these people we're, we're talking and everyone's like, what are these people talking about? What are they? <laughs> but, but here, like for the, for a pullout for the audience, like I can't even of all the times I've called you or you, like, I remember standing in the middle of Academy sports, like in the Adidas section, because you know, I'm totally run DMC that way. <laughs> like you calling me and like running an idea by me. And, and so, you know, to the audience, we're sitting here talking about, Oh, like, Oh, this person, this person, and we're having our little memory lane trip. But the best part of that is that we have a crew of people that are similar in our values, who've been on a similar journey for a similar amount of time. Yes, we might all be at different levels and where we've gotten in that amount of time, but we can lean on each other in that strong people environment, almost like a, you know, your own board, if you will, because entrepreneurship can be lonely, especially how we do it. Um, and it's, that's really important. Like, it's really important that I can call you. I know you have a mortgage and children and like grown up responsibilities and I can call you and you can share perspective with me as a business owner with those same responsibilities and help me in context make wise decisions. Yeah. You know what? I, that is a great point to, to what you said. And, and maybe a lot of people that listen to the show or, or know listen to the show and I've never really talked about that, but the importance of, I've talked about with guests on the show, the importance of, you know, finding an inner circle or, or your, your tribe or your mentors, you know, if you will. And, and the eight people that we were talking about here and the people listening to this haven't really seen it, but I have leaned on all of you guys over the last eight years for exactly what you said, right? You're like, Hey, I'm doing this. I'm struggling with this. What do you think? And I never really thought about that till you said that, like how many times I have reached out to all eight of you during the during these eight eight years. I think it's an it's invaluable, right? And it's a requirement for leadership and for 
entrepreneurship mature is like, you got, you can't do it by yourself no. and you've got to have, and we don't have another office to pop into or mm-hmm. like a, you know, departmental meeting like you would in, in a corporate office where you bounce around ideas. Like we don't have a whiteboard room. Like I used to have at <laughs> right. Opryland and, right. you know, so you have to figure out how to recreate that team or that perspective um, the way that you can. How did you get, how did you start becoming passionate about uh, leadership? I know that because when I first met you, I didn't see you as someone who, um, where you didn't talk explicitly about leadership, but as I got to know you, I'm like, man, she gets it. She understands. I mean, obviously you've worked in the corporate arena, you've worked in the real world and you saw some things that, that shaped your kind of ideas around leadership. I mean, what, tell the audience, what was it? What were those moments kind of working in the real world that led you to kind of like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do this on my own, or there's an opportunity here for me to do this uh, entrepreneurially. So I think um, both bad experiences or seeing how things are done, not the right way. (laughs) Sometimes that contrast is needed to see like, if that's, I know this isn't right. This doesn't sit right with me or I can observe that this is getting negative responses. How can we fix this? So I had that type of experience. And then I had experiences like at the Terry college of business at the university of Georgia, we, we were, we had tremendous alumni and there was a culture and a leadership expectation and we had access and and help from you know like the vp of finance for coca-cola international i was able to mm-hmm. to work with um chick-fil-a um i mean turner we, you could just go on and on not just um you know, the Atlanta based companies, although they were especially loyal to UGA, but companies all over where our alumni had a presence and to see how loyal they were to each other and how they brought everyone up simply because they were red and black. Yeah. Like that was it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, that's a winning, that's a winning formula. So we have a tribe here. And then I left there and I went to Gaylord hotels, which I I can't speak to it now so many years after Marriott um, purchased, which Marriott is a great company, totally different model than Gaylord was at the time. But during my days there, the culture lived and breathed in every nanosecond of the day. It wasn't something that you put in a drawer, you put up on a cork board. It it was how we did everything. Mm -hmm. And you ran among stallions. And if you fell behind, it was very obvious and you got trampled. Yeah. And it, so it wasn't like a fear-based, I have to perform. It's I'm around these amazing humans and I need to keep up because they're making me better. Yeah. And so when I left there, I left thinking, okay, what's the one thing that I've loved doing the most in my career? Because communication and engagement are all things that I've, that I've always done externally or internally. I look at branding sales and marketing externally. And then those things work internally too, because you're always selling ideas. Mm -hmm. You're always branding yourself. You're branding your employer brand. And when you're communicating those ideas and you're buying people, you're, you're buying people into your ideas, that's essentially marketing. So I just took both sides of those things. And I said, okay, I love developing personal brands and protecting personal brands of senior leaders and maybe even director level. And so I got ICF certified and I decided I was going to be a hardcore corporate coach. (laughs) 
Yeah. And then people started asking me like, oh, well, can you come do a training on this? Well, I've put together training programs, especially at Gaylord, um, communication plans, things like that. So I was like, oh yeah, sure. And then I was asked like, hey, can you stand on a stage and deliver a, a message for 60 minutes and we'll pay you a bunch of money? And I'm like, like mem- memorize something and like <laughs> do it for an hour. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like no problems there. I've always spoken as part of my jobs, but it was more like a marketing effort or like a community relations effort. And so I don't like to call anything an accident, but it just evolved. Yeah. Yeah. And when I look at leadership, you and I both know that one of the strongest attributes of, of an incredible influential leader is self-awareness. Because mm-hmm. if you don't understand yourself, it's really hard to see and harvest the greatness mm-hmm. in others. Right. And if you don't understand yourself, you don't know how you communicate. And if you don't know how you communicate, how can you engage? And if you can't engage, how are you ultimately going to influence? So there's some things here. So when I, when I think leadership, I immediately go to personal branding. Mm-hmm. That is where we begin. And you cannot graduate to the next steps until we have that dialed in. I love how you bring all that together. I mean, I think that's <clears throat> that's and when I said is like I didn't initially see that as you were one of the first people that I met that kind of opened my eyes. I kind of instinctively knew that, but I think you gave me some clarity and alignment around this idea. It's like, oh yeah, when I talk to um, CEOs and leaders, because they seem to separate it. Like, well, that's the marketing department or that's the communications department. And I'm like, I don't think you guys fully appreciate how leadership is in the umbrella out of all of, under, over all of this. And even <laughs> right. though we're talking about personal branding, which, you know, you would think, oh, I got to hire a marketing guru to talk, help me about my, my branding and my communications. Like, yeah, but you need to have somebody that understands because what is lead, what is that umbrella of leadership? It's the people business, right? It, right. And, and that it's such a broad umbrella, but it impacts everything. And I love how you kind of tie in, like, look, you got to have, you know, if we're going to have a great brand here and a great culture, you got to get right, right? If you're mm-hmm. walking around like, you know, dysfunctional Danny over here, you know, you, <laughs> you, you know, we're not going to have a great brand. And um, mm-hmm. you get that. And yeah, that, that. It's amazing that some people separate those two. It's like, whoa, the leadership thing's over here and the marketing piece is over here. <laughs> no, it's all encompassing. So, yeah, I appreciate everything you're saying. Well, if you look at it, too, I mean, all of us, everyone who's listening, we can all say, okay, um, what happens in marketing? So I, I like to use Nike as an example. Nike has different... Um, and you're wearing Nike. This is perfect. This is perfect, Richard. You dressed the part for me. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> So when we look at Nike, we look at the swoosh, we all think the same thing, just do it. Mm -hmm. The brand in its essence is an athletic brand that is all about like killing your dreams, right? It's about Mm -hmm. going after and getting what what it is that you want. That said, Nike has multiple audiences that they market to. So how they're going to market to a particular audience, say, um, that are true athletes, competitive athletes. They're going to market performance wear to them. The language that they're going to use is different. Uh, they're, they're going to talk probably more about the tech specs of things. Whereas if I'm marketing to a suburban soccer mom who's going to wear her tracksuit to Target, she doesn't want to hear all that mess about performance and all that kind of stuff. It's just mm-hmm. going to make her feel bad for putting on her Nike and not even going to the gym that day. Okay, so we're not <laughs> going to talk about those things. Right. We're going to be like, you're going to look cute. It's, it's like nice enough to wear out. You can, you know, do whatever at home and be there for the kids or whatever and be comfortable and cute. So that's the different market. Nike doesn't change its brand. Nike changes 
its message just enough to be able to communicate in a compelling way to each of their distinct audiences. So as a leader, I need to understand that. Mm -hmm. How I speak to the marketing department full of creatives, full of visionaries and imaginative people who probably are going to be rule breakers, who probably are going to be a little more um, innovative, if you will. They, they might need competing priorities. They might want different environments every day. I'm going to speak to them completely different than like my shared services team of accounts payable, accounts receivable, payroll, IT, because those people are going to be more like, I'm going to dot every I, I'm going to cross every T. Please give me a consistent process to follow or allow me to create the process because I'm going to need some stability. Totally different than my innovators over here in marketing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So if I'm a good leader and I understand, well, what is my communication style? How do I show up? I'm still going to be Amber. I'm still going to be... Um, approachable. I'm still going to be informal in my communication style. But when I go to try to convince the marketing team of something, I am going to completely shift that to them. What's in it for me? What are my fears? Mm -hmm. Just like marketing, right? Yeah. And then I'm going to come over to the IT and I'm probably going to use more numbers and figures and facts and show the process and let them see how we're going to get to the end result. Where at the marketers, I'm going to let them envision how they're going to get to the result. Yeah. Well, I don't change my message or I don't change me. I change my message. No. Well, I mean, it speaks, it goes back to your point about the importance of self-awareness. I, I, I don't think it's talked about enough. I know when I look at just kind of standard vanilla leadership training programs, um, <laughs> they, they rarely touch on the self-awareness piece. And I would argue that, and, and this is something that I've really had, got alignment and clarity on over the last eight years from doing this show and having all these conversations. I don't even think I was fully there eight years ago. Just the amount of work that is so internal to being mm. an effective leader is is much larger than most people think. I used to think, mm. even when I was in the Marine Corps, I thought leadership was so external. You know, the external presence that I had is like this command presence that I walk into a room and, you know, and had the look. And you outrank, therefore. And outrank, right. And I had this on my shoulder that, you know, that gave me a little bit of positional authority that I thought carried me further than it really does, right? I thought it carried okay. me this far and it only carried me that far. But, you know, it was so external was my point. And then it's like, wow, I mean, to be an effective leader is so much internal work and particularly self-awareness. And it's that emotional quotient muscle that has to be exercised. And you get, I mean, I'm bringing this up because I think you fully get it and understand it. And um, I don't think, I think it's 80, 80 to 85% of the leadership um, journey. I really do. I think, and it never oh, ends, by the way. I think it's- Oh, no, you, you never get there. No, you never get there. And just the awareness piece and, the, and, and truly be, and I struggle with this on every day. It's like, well, who am I really? And what am I authentically standing for? And what am I doing? You know, I think those are what all the great leaders are constantly asking themselves that. And to your point, especially when you get up in that kind of level, I think that that is that is most of the job is like trying to remove yourself and put yourself, you know, leave this body, put my put myself in yours and try to see where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. That is the job. And it takes a tremendous amount of work to do that, particularly if you come in here and you're yelling at me and calling me a name and Rich, you're an asshole. And I'm like, I have to really dig down and go, well, why does Amber think I'm an asshole? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because maybe she has a point or maybe she doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. 
Well, yeah. And just think about what Nike went through to sell you that sweatshirt. The, the billions of dollars that, that companies spend in Northern America to do market research, Mm -hmm. they are studying us. They are studying how do we respond? What are our emotional triggers? What fears do we have? What is it that we ultimately want to experience as we purchase our athletic clothing? I mean, mm-hmm. they go to great ends to understand us. And, and as true leaders, we have to go to great ends to understand whether you are trying to, whether you run a, a five person or a 10 person shop, or you're leading, you know, like Mr. Marriott, a gajillion people worldwide, you have to understand your people. You have to have some kind of data on them whether that's homegrown data, like exit interviews or, you know, Google form um, employee engagement surveys, or if you hire a, a, a company that does that, you need, you need to have the same kind of data or similar data that Nike would have in terms of like attaching cookies to us. Like, where did you go on our website? Um, you have a loyalty card. I know that you tend to buy these things. Like they study us so that they know how to engage us and how to encourage a specific behavior, which of course is buying their their stuff. And if you want to encourage specific behavior, like discretionary effort, um, like showing up to work, <laughs> mm-hmm. like leading well, if you want to encourage those behaviors then you have to understand your market, mm-hmm. which internally are your employees. Right. Yeah. Oh, so much work. That's why leadership is so hard. <laughs> <It's> hard. <laughs> I'm just Step listening to you say all this stuff. I'm like, oh, this is why leadership is so hard. Just because everything is <laughs> So everybody at the state, let's take a deep breath in, (laughs) deep breath out, sigh together because leadership isn't a job. It's a calling. Yeah. You know, it's what you do when you're leading your team, no matter the size of that team is being cascaded. Once they take that experience back home to their families, to their communities, Mm -hmm. to all the areas that they touched, your influence has a rippling effect. And that's not something we can take for granted. I know your listeners, especially, are hungry for that kind of deepened experience, yeah. that leadership purpose. Yeah. Well, and if you, and, and I'm just thinking back to your experience at Gay, was it Gaylord? Uh huh. And and I think I don't know what it is about. I th- I think it's because hospitality is so customer focused. The great ones, right? Mm-hmm. They are great proving grounds or great. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the phrase, but they're, they're great um, experiments of leadership because mm-hmm. when it works well, I mean, it's so fantastic. I don't know what it is about the hospitality. I guess it's because of the customer experience and it's, and it happens in such these short little, bur- like you get instant feedback from the customer what happened as opposed to where if I buy this Nike sweatshirt and it doesn't work out and the hotel experience or the hospitality experience is immediate, right? It's like, you know, within that short frame, that two to three nights that I'm there, if it was a success or not, because I'm going to let you know right away. And it's a, it's a great understanding. I think what hotel hospitality understands that maybe not all industries have completely caught up to yet is that if we take care of our employees, the employee, our employees aren't poured into significantly, especially in luxury hospitality. I'm sure Amex is the same way. I've never done work with Amex, but that would be an amazing experience. I know that when I'm taken care of by my Amex Platinum person, they pour into me. So I have to know that their employer is doing that for them. Yeah. Otherwise, they don't have it to give. 
Yeah. Well, and, and to your point, it's a it's a industry where the frontline employees can really shape and impact the culture. I think all I think most organizations miss and particularly frontline employees mm-hmm. don't appreciate how much they can shape the culture and the brand in the hospitality mm-hmm. industry. It's tantamount, right? They can make or break mm-hmm. a brand. That frontline desk clerk can make or break and destroy a brand. Oh. One thousand percent. And, it, you know, it is about weaving the culture into every little aspect. So, for example, you know, Johnny shows up late every day. Um, and so the conversation that you have with Johnny is like, hey, Johnny, um, you know, you've you've been late and you could you could just leave it there. Like you're late. That broke a rule. You're in trouble. Like you could leave it at that or you can say, hey, Johnny, um, you know, teamwork is is one of our values that we all agree to when we come on board here. And because you've been consistently late, you've kept Tim from being able to pick up his child on time, or we've had to cover this somehow and scramble so that Tim could go pick up his child on time at daycare, which puts stress on him and his family and the rest of his evening. And he gets here on time and he stays until you get here as part of the team. Are you committed to that value of teamwork so that Tim doesn't have to go through that stress every day? That's a whole different conversation than you're late again, yeah. you're in trouble. That's the leadership conversation because, and again, it goes to the point that you got a company that's self-aware of, of who they are, what they stand for. This is where the ship is heading. This is why it's heading this way. And this is, you know, hey, here's our values. Show me, these are my expectations. Mm-hmm. Show me how, you know, you, 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 what you just did fits into what we what we said here and what you agreed to, by the way, right? Yeah, that's yeah. very powerful stuff. That's the. And go ahead. Because I said so didn't work for any of us growing up. We didn't want to hear it. It's not. <laughs> right. It's not going to work that's in the workforce so either. It's going to get that same Absolutely. animosity that you felt with your parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, and to your point, if someone's listening to this, and I see this particularly in the middle and below, and there's a lot of organizations out there who haven't done the work to get that alignment and clarity around what they stand for. I mean, they just don't. I've worked in organizations. I've coached organizations. They didn't have it. You know, I've tried to help them get there. That doesn't mean if you're in the middle and below that you can't affect that, right? If you don't see Mm -hmm. it, I would highly, highly recommend if you don't see it, well, first, two things. This is why leadership is hard, particularly in the middle, is you got to try to extract it from the top. But if you don't see it, there's nothing stopping you from inserting some of those values, right? There's nothing mm-hmm. stopping you. In fact, I think it's a, a you're kind of shaming the universe if you're kind of sitting there and you know what the right thing is to do to take care of the customer. And he says, well, you know, my boss doesn't do it, so I'm not going to do it. Right. That's kind of. Right. Yeah. That's shame dropping on you. The ball. Right? That's dropping the ball. And so. Personal responsibility and all. <laughs> that, that's my point is that the, that middle and below has tremendous influence over the organization, over the culture. And think about this. If you're in the middle and below and you've got. So you've got five direct reports and you're my CEO and I'm in the middle and below, you know, I have way more influence over those five people on their oh. lives than Amber Hurdle yeah. does. Who's the CEO, right? And- 1000. And, and I, that's when I go into an organization, especially one that's sizable, I talk about zip codes. So if you think about the United States of America, <clears throat> the culture where you live, it's the United States culture but it's different than where you live than in Nashville where I live. Right. And it's certainly vastly different than New York city or Los Angeles mm-hmm. um, or, you know, Mon- somewhere in Montana, very different 
versions of the culture. And so when I think about even, let's say a hotel and, and even back to the whole example of marketing and IT, but I think of a hotel experience. Okay. So you have, you have a beautiful culture that's usually well lived in a, in a hotel, especially luxury hotel setting. Your front office is going to experience that and have different challenges than like catering and events mm -hmm. versus F and B and your food outlets and that sort of thing, or, you know, room service versus, um, transportation, valet, support, sales, HR, like everybody has their own version. And so who is the mayor of that zip code? You are. And so, yeah, you take the trickle down culture and you don't try to recreate the culture at your level. You just translate that into something that is meaningful to the people that you're in charge of day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And that's your responsibility to understand the citizens of your zip code and how does this all work for us and the type of day-to-day -day operational experience that we have. It's kind of made me think about what's that old, that cliche story. Maybe you've heard of it, you know, like kind of NASA. I think about those organizations that did it like NASA in the sixties, they had it right. I mean, mm -hmm. it was easy for them because they had a, <clears throat> a mission that was easy to wrap your arms around that everybody understood. Yeah. Get to the moon, oh, yeah. get to the moon before the Soviets. Right. That's easy. Right. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, you're successful when, you know, it's like what the famous story with a janitor who's cleaning up mission control and he was sweeping up the floor and emptying the trash. And some reporter asked him like, what do you, you know, what is it you do here? And he says, well, I help, I help people get to the moon. You know? Know. And it's that not freaking amazing. You know? And he's like, well, cause if I don't keep this mission control clean, then they're going to be distracted. So it's my job to make, I'm going to make this as the, clean and sterile environment so they're ha so they don't have to worry about you know i don't want them stressed out because i want to get them to the moon so you know so if you can get to the point where an employee thinks the marine corps is good at that too and that's, that's why i always bring yes. up the marine corps because the marine corps i mean they're like the they're beasts at marketing right and making you feel yeah. like you're part of something you know from the get-go like hey look i know you're going to be turning wrenches in the garage and i know you're not kicking down doors and, and taking bad guys names but man i need you in there changing that oil in that humvee right you're part of this. You are freedom. You right. You are freedom. Right. You're in this lineage. See all that, and they put the arm around you, and like see all these battles. You know, Bella Wood, Iwo Jima, Frozen Chosen, Kason, and see all those blank ones. You're in that lineage, brother. You know, they make you feel like part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah, one of the one of the favorite things that I love to do with organizations. Um, again, it goes back to branding. So we don't negate the brand promise of the company, but I go into each department <clears throat> and we do a brand promise for that department. And we do that so that that particular department understands how they uniquely contribute to the bigger picture. Because again, if payroll doesn't see how critical, like, getting the checks right every time, mm -hmm. you know, they don't, they're like, oh, this is just what I do. But if they can't see how they uniquely contribute to the mission, yep. the vision and, and the brand promise, then they're just, they're just typing on a computer all day and there's no deep meaning to that. Yeah. And so when you go to each department and then they all come together and they share their brand promises and they see the interaction and how vital they are to each other. And then it's all just a, a chain of excellence that, ultimately hits that vision. Now each of us can say, I exist in this company with my gifts, my talents, and my experience so that I can help this company get to this goal. 
I didn't jump out of bed and say like, I can't wait to fulfill the mission and vision of tractor supply. Like (laughs) nobody does that. (laughs) Nobody does that, but they do jump out of bed and maybe they want to pay their mortgage or take a vacation or buy a new car or pay the electric bill or whatever that looks like. And they have these things that they can offer tractor supply. I'm picking on tractor supply because I've used this joke with them all the time, but they can take all of this to tractor supply in exchange for money. And now we're all like in business and everybody's getting something out of it. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Yeah, I, I, to me, that's the secret sauce. I mean, if you can get their organization to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And and I, I've i butted heads. I, I can think of three examples where I've, I've been in like just almost one was just a deep argument with my CEO that I worked with. We were oil and water anyway. But I, I, I was arguing specifically about this point. And he was just like, <clears throat> it, it was a, and you'll appreciate this because it was a hospitality brand. It was a ho- when I worked for a hotel. And it, but it was a, an extended stay, and extended stay's challenge was oh yeah, you know, extended stay is difficult because it can attract a different type of it can if you're not careful you're going to have a meth lab and a prostitution ring in your hotel. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So that's and squatters and squatters, <laughs> right? And I, and that's when, and I did land I did the entitlement process, and so I had to go in front of city councils and explain why I needed to put this you know, meth lab (laughs) prostitution magnet on this piece of property. I had to explain that, you know, I was always fighting it. And the brand I worked for that they were, we were maniacally about cleanliness and safety. And so that was, that was kind of the brand hook, right? It's like internally we, everybody had to be, you know, like maniacal about cleanliness and safety. Well, part of the problem was, you know, in, in, it was basically a hotel that was, ran like an apartment so it had six six full-time employees right and it, compared to a normal hotel you know right that's so but the margins lean. were very, very lean so my point is the margins were very thin and we didn't pay our property managers a lot of money and they were, we were struggling we were losing property managers it was like a revolving door you couldn't get a quality individual in there and the ceo that i was arguing with he's like well you're never going to get a quality individual paying him x amount of money and it wasn't a lot of money and I said, well, you got two options. I said, you can increase the salary 
He said, well, that's not an option. Okay, I said, well, then your other option is you, you need to invest. We need to invest our time, energy, and resources in making people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And we need to show that there's progression that, mm-hmm. you know, someday, yeah, you're here, but someday you're going to be here if you stick with us, if you stick with this awesome. company. And he fought me on it. And I just couldn't believe it. And he was just like, you know, he goes, the type of people we attract, and he said this, he's like, they're just, all they want to do is they want to get through the day and get to Friday, get their paycheck and go get a case of Schlitz or a patch blue ribbon. And I'm like, well, maybe that's the case, but they, they're still human And that's beings. a branding problem. Right. Why yeah. are you attracting that? Because what are you putting out into the world that's right. about- your brand and what it feels like to work for you. He fought me on it and he thought he knew better. And I, so I hit him with it. I said, well, I gave him three examples. I gave him the Marine Corps, which he hated because I always talked about the Marine Corps. Yeah. <laughs> I said, do you think people are joining the Marine Corps to make money? I said, I guarantee you they're not making any money. In fact, you bring, during the Marine Corps, you're basically at poverty level. Mm-hmm. So well, why do they do it? He's like, well, because they need the money. And I'm like, no, they don't. No. They want to do it because they want to be part of something bigger than themselves, something special, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, Inter- what got them was Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Oh, yeah. I said, look That's at Enterprise good. Rent-A-Car. I said, do you know what they, you know, said, you know what their entry-level position is, what they pay them? They actually pay them $1,000. I knew, I knew this because I, did, so I said, they pay them 1000 less than what we're paying our property managers. I said, I can go walk into an Enterprise Rent-A-Car today, and it's going to be some sharp-dressed young man or woman who's fresh out of college or just about to graduate college, and they're going to knock me off. Their, they're just going to blow me away with their customer service. Because they invest in those leaders and tra- or managers and training like yep. crazy. Yeah, and they tell them, they're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to show you how to they, – they go in there and they tell that young man or woman, their college student, they're like, you know what? You work with us. I'm going to show you how to run a business. I'm going to mm-hmm. show you how to be – a business person. Mm-hmm. And here's where you, in five years, here's where you can be. You can be making $120,000 a year being a regional manager. You stick with me. Mm-hmm. And he thought it cast that vision. Yeah. It shut him up. When I gave him the enterprise, he just, nah, whatever. I got time for this. I, I certainly didn't mean to pick on um, tractor supply. Uh, Cause they're ama- this is an amazing company. Uh, such a strong culture. But one of the things I was just talking about to a, a a friend today. Uh, one of the things that they do really, really, really well, and I'm not sure people would expect this out of tractor supply. Um, they always have done this. Well, I won't say always, but since they've, they've put some intention behind it, their diversity initiatives within the company are incredible. Um, everything from um, women out here they have an LGBTQ community. They have um, uh, an African-American community. They have a Hispanic community. I'm sure there's more. Those are just the ones off the top that I can remember in people's email signatures. And I think there's something to to be said about that element too. And I know people go back and forth on like, oh, we shouldn't single out like distinct populations or whatever. But the way that they do it, which is evidence, not only in their senior leadership, but also their their board, their board, the, the, um, the chair of the board is a woman. They've always had diverse faces on their board. Um, and Hal Lawton, their CEO, is is certainly somebody who speaks a lot about this. But my observation about 
tractor supply is it's not like, okay, we have, we have this group for these people. And it's just for these people. It's like, we have this group and everyone is invited to experience this and to perceive the company and how we do business through this particular um, subgroups lens and everyone cross participates. It's an invitation for everyone together. It's not a segment. It's not a separation. It's a celebration and people come in. And so if I have distinct gifts and talents and experience that I'm bringing to a bigger picture, I also bring some personal things, Mm -hmm. how I look, how I show up. My experience as a female leader is going to be very different than your experience as a male leader. You're not bad. I'm not bad. You're not right. I'm not wrong. Vice versa. It's just different. And so if we're coming together to try to like create greatness in a company, wouldn't that be awesome to like honor everybody's experience and consider that internally? Because guess what happens externally? We have diversity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. it's such a no brainer. And it's it's funny, especially in the South. I'm not, I'm kind of picking, okay, I'm picking on my, my neighbors. Um, <laughs> they get really <clears throat> frustrated with that topic of diversity and, well, well, this is the best person for the job. It's like, okay. Um, <laughs> there's yeah. also opportunity and, you know, mm-hmm. making it look like somebody who looks like me is even capable of getting this position. So, I mean, there's, there's balance here and I don't mean to get political at all. I'm just saying that when we look at who we're targeting customer wise, they don't all look the same. Yeah. Yeah. And so if the people who are influencing decisions within the company all look the same, we automatically have a problem. I had a great guest. In fact, I'm going to post it today when we get done with, I'm I'm going to post this today after I get done with our conversation. And it's a guy named Jimmy Vaughn. And we, we, that was the whole episode. We talked about diversity. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to tune in. And not that my eyes were closed. I feel like I've, I'm fairly open, like what you just said. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm with it. But he opened my eyes to a lot of things and how he, how we perceive things. Because you're right, because we dig in. And it's so funny. What he, he, he made me, I'm probably going to screw this up how I say it. But he, like one of the things he said were like, like that whole argument about like, well, it's not about, it's, you know, we always dig our heels in and say, well, it's about, you know, who's best qualified for the job. Yeah, okay, that's right. But it... To put yourself in that position of like at least opening up to realize that your experience is different than mine, right? And I think that mm-hmm. that's something particularly as someone like myself who I I, che- I check all those boxes of like being the most, right? I'm a <laughs> middle-aged white male. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I check them all, right? But remember what I've fundamentally said, which I think is is – I think one of the hardest jobs of a leadership, and it's definitely a requirement and obligation if you're going to get into transformational leadership, you're not going to be a mediocre manager anymore. You've got to be a transformational leader. You have to be very good at what we said earlier about externally leaving your body and putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And that is so freaking hard. And it's that empathy piece, right? And to do it without... Judgment, not to, and to do it with an an understanding. You still may be jacked up. You still may be like, Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with you, but at least I need to understand, like, well, where does he come in? Because I can't fully appreciate what it is. Like in you, I don't know what it was like. I can try to, I can empathize as much as I can. It's like, wow, here's this woman 
And I look at you now and I'm like, well, she's very accomplished, very successful entrepreneur, consultant, speaker, you know, brand ambassador, just someone that's been kicking ass in the universe for a long time. But when I fully appreciate your story, like, okay, this was someone that had a kid when she was a teenager, you know, and all that. stuff. I mean, I can try to appreciate that, but I don't know what it was like to be, you know, a teenage mother and having a kid. You know, when you were 18, I think your world vision was probably like, oh, my God, what am I what's happening to me? Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And how old old were you when you had your kid? I was 16. 16, right? 16. Barely. I turned turned 16 in October, and I think I found out I was pregnant in December. So I was freshly 16. Yeah, you're – wow. I was a baby. Right? And what was your worldview then? You know, did you think your your life was like, oh, my God, you know? Like how did you did you imagine at that point that you would be doing what you're doing now? No way. No. And and I think, you know, full circle back to well what really got you into leadership and and personal branding is my five-step velvet machete leadership process was truly what I did to get out from behind the eight ball as a teen mom mm-hmm. and into a position of authority and influence. It what, what, what did that take? And so what I found was that these principles were principles that I taught my team members who were very open to my leadership style. Again, I'm a very, um, informal leader. Um, I don't necessarily care about the rank on my shoulder. Um, what my title is, my job is to ensure that they understand their value and how that is how that lives and breathes in the organization so that they're rewarded. And so is the company. That was just always how I led. Um, I am a super independent, like, you know, raw un, un not self-aware is my ideas are the best ideas. Like that is how I score a personality test. But what I, what I know to be true is if everybody's bought into the ideas through influence, then we get there faster. Right. So mm-hmm. I use these principles with my team members. I, led and guide them and oftentimes coach them out of their own positions and out of my department, which, you know, Hey, if you're a good leader, that happens. And then once I got into doing this on my own, I, I, it, the coaching side of things, I think really helps you see repeated patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we do this, they get results when we do this. So then you go to groups and then you do it in larger, you know, formats and things, and then you get a podcast and people write back to you and that sort of thing. And, my five-step process started as what did Amber do to get from teen mom to out from behind the eight ball to now I'm in fortune 100 companies doing this and it's still working. (laughs) So we just rinse and repeat now. Like these are the things like you have your process, you have your success path, you have your pillars that, that to do things the way that Richard knows is going to work. You have your path Mm -hmm. to do things the Amber way that, Amber knows is going to work and they, we might have different outcomes. We might have similar, similar outcomes, but different paths to getting there. And I think that's, that's the cool thing ultimately about what I refer to as following your breadcrumbs, looking back on how did I get here? Um, whether you're someone like us that teaches it, or you're a leader in an organization or owning your own business is it doesn't have to be the way. It just has to be the way where you found success. Yeah. I love how you incorporate it into your, even your, your branding and your, your programs now that 
I, I mean, I don't know how you, it couldn't, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're a person who's extremely self-aware and like those experiences that I guess some people would call a really in the mud moment, but they, if they didn't happen, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be where you're at now. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the, and t- I'm- at the time it had to be very dark and very scary. Oh, it was, you know, at first it was like, I'm going to be great. It's going to be fine. I'm just going to be a mom. But then there's relational things on top of that. There's just all kinds of things. And there were some really dark times, like really dark times where I was slipping from who I was and what I was put on this planet to do. Like it, it was just, I was done. Um, and again, going back to one of the steps in my, in my process is you have to build supportive environments for whoever it is that you are. Um, and building the right people environments around me was important. Surrounding yourself uh, with the, with people you wanted, right? Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's, oh, but that, oh, that can be so very important. painful. Well, it can be, and it can be very painful because you like, when you do that honest assessment and like, maybe this, I shouldn't be spending time with this person, right? Yeah. Well, I had a lot of those people and truthfully you think, so then you're a grown up and you think that you're surrounding yourself with really great people. And then, you know, through COVID too, is like, Oh, I think I'm going to keep socially distancing from this. You know, it's a constant evaluation mm-hmm. that you have to do is, is this right. person right. Serving. giving, yeah. taking, mm-hmm. edifying? Are they, you know, if I spend my time with this person, do I want to be like this person? That's a really hard question to ask. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love the name Velvet Machete. I mean, it. it, it I mean, I think I, I think I understand what that means. But right, it's like you know, it's it's that, and that's what I love about. I love the contrarian, um, or the not contrarian is the wrong word. I love the dichotomy. Mm-hmm of leadership i'm always fascinated mm-hmm. by that dichotomy of leadership and velvet machete seems to get to the dichotomy of what we're trying to do right like and i think a lot of times people don't realize you can be a pretty warrior badass with a velvet touch right that's what mm-hmm. i hear when i hear velvet machete am i hitting am i, am I hitting the right points with, with that one thousand percent i just say you know the machete cuts to the chase mm-hmm. it captures people's attention they know exactly what it is that you want or that you need or that you expect but the velvet wraps the message in a way that's appealing to that intended audience mm-hmm. so back to the marketing department versus the it department i'm going to show up with my machete but that velvet might feel a little bit different to those different audiences yeah i think it's a great i think it's i think i love that name I was looking at so it's an eight week course and a program that I think you're kicking off. You got you got your attendance. You're kicking off in January here for your first. We actually cohort. started this week. Oh, this the, week. This particular mm-hmm. cohort, yeah. Um, so I, the Velvet Machete Leadership Academy is a eight week um, virtual, but live. I'm involved twice a week um, and every day in the Facebook group. Um, leadership certification course. And it was important to me that I gave a digital certification that, you know, automatically populates your LinkedIn profile, because if you're going to do the kind of work that I expect of you, (laughs) you're, you're going to want something more than um, a little piece of paper. Like it, it, I want, I want tractor supply. I want FedEx ground. I want Walmart. I want them, you know, or, 
Mackenzie Stone and Tile or Hot Spring Spas or whatever small businesses involved, I want them to really understand that what they did was meaningful work and that they had to hit a standard of participation of, you know, really showing up for themselves so that they can show up for the people they report to um, and have some kind of documentation of that. So I take them through the five steps. It's eight weeks. So you have off weeks too, where you get me, but not mm-hmm. necessarily the coursework um, so that you can let it breathe a little bit, have some implementation weeks, if you will. Right. Well, I love what, I, I love what you're doing because I, again, you, it's one of the first, um, like we were talking about earlier in this sh- sh- program about where you, you, you come out of the gates talking about building that personal brand and then it kind of flows into creating more uh, supportive environments, and then and then you, then we start talking about communicating, and then we talk about engaging, and then it, you kind of wrap it up by talking about influence, right? Am I, am I kind mm-hmm. of hitting all the high points of the course there? Oh yeah, I always say the first the first two um, steps in the development machete leadership journey is, is me. So I'm focused on me. I'm mm-hmm. understanding myself. I'm I'm looking back. I'm creating my brand. I understand how I best show up, how I'm most influential. And then in the second step, we're creating supportive environments, whether that's processes or people, we get into mental, we get into spiritual and I'm not Bible thumping or anything. Like everyone has a spirit. We have to address it. It's a requirement. Yeah. But one of the things I keep the sticker that I send to my, my students, um, one of my key things about the program is I say, we bubble wrap things. I don't want to hear about your weaknesses. You're not a weak person. I'm not a weak person because I don't do well in advanced math does not make me weak. Right. That just means I need to bubble wrap that with an accountant, a bookkeeper and somebody to do my payroll. Love it. <laughs> I'm still involved. I'm still learning. Right. I understand my PL. Heck before this, I was showing you my model for next year. I can do numbers, mm-hmm. but just that's not the highest and best use of me. So I'm going to bubble wrap that fragile area through supportive environments. And then once we get past those two, you get into communication. Now that's the bridge to the we. If you're not a strong communicator, listening and speaking, you can't get to the engagement or the influence piece. So that's kind of like the gate from me to we. Love it. You're doing great stuff, Amber. I mean, I've been a huge fan and supporter of watching you blossom over the last eight years that I've known you. I mean, it's been this lifelong kind of kick-ass journey since you... And was having the kid at 16, was that really kind of the catalyst moment, do you think? I, I keep going back to that, but I, that, that's no. how I see it, right? That's the catalyst. It is. Mm-hmm. And I hate even, like, because I feel like Adele singing hello again at a concert. You know, like, <laughs> right, exactly. I'm like, gosh, I'm 41 years old. My youngest is 18. Like, I have all adult children now. My, my yeah, stepdaughter yeah, yeah, yeah. is 27. I've got grandkids. I mean, like, it feels so long ago. And, you know, Brittany's 24 now. She owns three companies. Like, she's six-figure entrepreneur herself like we're not those people anymore but if i don't tell that story then you don't understand exactly the depth of what it is that i do no right no and i i think it's you're right i mean but just like i know it may feel like adele saying hello again but I, I came to the concert to hear you sing hello if you don't say hello <laughs> i'm going to be disappointed right right so, right so i think and it's <clears throat> I need to hear that story and, and I want people to know it because I think it is because there are a few moments in the mud moments that your life could have gone one of two ways. It was really a Y intersection. Yeah. And even though you were pretty much 
buried in the mud at that moment. And having a kid at 16, I'm sorry, but that doesn't get much more in the mud, right? <laughs> and, and I've I knocked on the on the door of destruction mm-hmm. enough. And I think it's important too, you know, in my in my first book, um, The Bombshell Businesswoman, I told that story straight away because men do this too, but you know, I can't be the spokesperson for men. Um, women especially say, okay, I've got this thing in my wagon of experiences that I drag around in life. And, and so I can't do this because I've got this burden that I keep dragging around. And I'm like, that's, I can't say that's crazy train. You need to get over that. But what I can say is, wow, I understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Because when I had a kid at 16 years old, that felt like maybe that's something I was going to drag around in life (laughs) with me. But here's what I did to overcome that. And so what do you need to do to overcome what? And I mean, this is where when you and I have said earlier in this discussion the inner journey is the important part and it's the hardest part. And it's the majority of your work. We're talking about parenting attachments, relationship attachments, childhood wounds, mother wounds, father wounds, um, you know, bad boyfriends, bad girlfriends, like all this stuff, but really in your childhood, all this stuff impacts our relationships today, impacts our self-esteem, how we perceive the world and if you don't start sorting through that stuff, um, that will continuously be a brick in your wagon of experiences that you drag a lot around in life. Well said. And that's the and that's the what that's why I love in the mud out out of the mud stories is what I call them. Mm-hmm. Is even you and I can experience the same in the mud moment. Call it trauma. Call it some significant life ambush. That's what my friend Jason Redmond calls them, life ambushes. That's true. I like that. And as he even said on this show that, you know, all of us are going to experience an average of five or six life ambushes that your life is not the same after that happens, that you can't fully recover from. And when I say fully recover from, it doesn't mean you don't, you, you can't go back to the, the way life was before. How you saw life. Right. Yeah. And, you know, but, but I mean, ahead, so the point was, is that, and what I love about out of the mud is like, even though we, we can both experience the same life ambush or in the mud moment, we still have the power to choose. Right. And that's mm-hmm. how it goes. And it is going to be dark, but you do still have the power, even though you're buried in the mud at the moment is my point. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, no, I was interrupting you. Um, One of my <clears throat> colleagues and friends and I, um, we say this often is, and I'm, let me back up and just say I'm certified in the fascination advantage assessment, which is really, it's not how you psychologically see the world. It's how the world sees you. So it's kind of a personal branding tool. I'm certified in the predictive index, which is, which I need to send you. I don't know why mm. I haven't sent this to you. It, it measures what your innate needs are in a work environment. And so it can predict your behaviors. So it's like, it's not, can I do the job? It's, will I do the job and will I do it well over a prolonged period of time? Because I'm designed to do that job. Yeah. Um, I use, this is something you might not know about me, Richard. Um, I actually use natal, uh, astrology to help understand people as well. I just think it's, I'm not woo woo about it. I don't predict the future with it. I'm not saying you're wrong. If you do, I'm just saying I don't. Um, but what I do is I see it as like the mathematical, 
um, universe, God, whatever you want to call it, personality assessment for all people. And I can extract things from that. I can't get out of other personality assessments. So I use three different tools with every VIP client. The one tool I wish I could have, and this is what we joke about or talk about behind the scenes with my friend is if there is a way to measure grit. Yeah, that would be awesome. Cause I would hire you <laughs> all day long over experience. If you have grit, that's somebody who's gotten out of the mud. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes to the point. People ask me, what is the, after eight years and 450 plus conversations of this, what, what is the overarching theme? And without hesitation, it's that that comes up time and time again, that it's about the tenacity. It's not about mm -hmm. the talent. It's not about the pedigree. It's not about whatever. It's always about the tenacity and I can't tell you how many times people have been on this show and I have people that I've met in real life that I'm like, well, how did you, he says, you know what? I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the richest. I wasn't whatever. I just, the guy next to me just quit and I didn't. Mm -hmm. Same. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. it. I was just like, well, that didn't work. What did work? That well, that didn't. Okay. So I, this is on my, on my computer at all times. It, just how? as a post-it note that says how with a question mark. And so this year it's like, okay, well, 18 months worth of um, speaking engagements just got canceled in 48 hours. How are we going to bring the stage to me? Yeah. Thank God I have, you know, I was already set up for virtual and I've been doing this for forever. Um, okay. All of my consulting clients in luxury hotel and entertainment can't afford their employees. So they sure can't afford me to come in to help them with their employees. <laughs> right. Everyone's getting furloughed. The right thing to do is to let them out of their agreements. How do we enter new markets? How do we continue to be of service to these people who can't afford us, but need us now more than ever? Mm -hmm. How? And so I think that is definitely a question, um, that we all, especially as, you know, 2021 is not a light switch. It's not like, Ooh, it's January. All of our problems are going away. Yeah, right. we, we still have COVID. Yeah. We still have uncertainty around that. We still have um, social injustice issues that we're grappling with. We still have economic issues. There's so much uncertainty moving forward and we all need to have empathy. We all need to think about what is the experience of this other human being that I'm interacting with? Because leadership is not just downward. Leadership is lateral and up mm -hmm. as you, you know, I know preach as well. And, um, and then the other question is how, how can we do this with the resources we have? I love it. I think it's a good place to stop. We've been talking almost yeah. an hour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it goes so fast. <laughs> and audience says, no, this, we were talking 30 minutes prior to the conversation till we yeah. record. So we've been talking for yeah. an hour and a half. So, well, it's been a hot minute since I got to talk to you, Richard. Yeah, no. And <laughs> it's just, I, I love your stuff. I love anything I can do to support you and your brand and what you're doing. How can people learn more about you, Velvet Machete, your book? How can people connect with you? So you can go to amberhurdle.com and that, that's how you can get to my YouTube channel or any of my social media channels. Um, and then if you want to become more self-aware and you want to understand the bubble wrap concept, um, then go to amberhurdle.com forward slash leadership quiz. Uh, I developed my own leadership assessment that will give you an idea of how you show up at your most influential self as your most influential self. And then it also gives you an idea of what you might want to consider bubble wrapping, what might bite you in the butt if you don't, um, you know, put a little 
something, something there to help protect you and your brand. I love, I love the bubble wrap thing. That's really cool. I love that. I love that concept. Again, I'll have links to all this stuff. Uh, go check out the post. You can link directly to Amber's stuff uh, by going to the post on Dose of Leadership. Amber, glad to know you. You're a blessing to have in my life. and I'm, I'm glad to I have you in you. the Dose of Leadership tribe. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Richard. It is absolutely an honor. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.